Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. My guest is Dr. Nate Landis. Dr. Nate Landis is the CEO of Urban Youth Collaborative in San Diego and author of God Wants His Kids Back, Schools of Thought to Reach a Lost Generation. Nate is the founder and president of Urban Youth Collaborative, a nonprofit organization that equips churches to support student leaders at over 100 public schools in the United States and Mexico, where thousands of kids attend student-led faith clubs each week. Uh, Nate, welcome to Southern California Live. Thanks for being on our program today. It's my pleasure, Scott. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Nate, I think that when we think about public schools and ministry, I think that what comes to mind so often is that there's a wall up and you can't do it. But that's not true, is it? It's not. I think principals and pastors are often surprised to discover that the separation of church and state is really a door with uh, a knob that you can turn and open. It's not an impenetrable wall. And you have to know which keys work and you have to know someone on the other side and build trust. And what's surprising and, and pleasantly so for Christians is if students host the club on their campus, if the school allows any other club at all, the debate club, the surf club, um, you know, a chess club, they have to allow students of faith to have a faith club. And every other religion is welcome to do theirs as well. But we want kids to know about Jesus. Kids can gather, invite their friends, they can serve physical and spiritual food, and then they can invite in a guest speaker, mm-hmm. just like the surf club might want to have a professional surfer talk about the finer points of catching a wave. They can have a youth pastor come in and talk about what it's like to follow Jesus. And then I see kids, got in front of their friends in public schools, raising their hands, inviting Jesus into their life because young people are... Uh, able to have those kinds of transformative conversations in public space. Yeah. And it's voluntary to attend, it's not coerced, and then just like the way God presents the gospel, we all get to make up our minds and decide we'll, whether we'll accept or reject that. We yeah, Nate, that's, and, and Nate, that's what I want to talk about. I think when we hear about kids in a public school raising their hand and accepting Jesus— that that might seem just so out there for people, but this happens all the time. Can you talk to us? First of all, Nate, tell us about yourself a little bit, how you got into this kind of ministry, and then I want to talk about some stories uh, from these kids that are in these faith clubs that are part of the public schools that are right down our streets. Uh, Nate, tell us about yourself. How'd you get into uh, this ministry? Absolutely. I was a youth pastor at a Presbyterian church that was eight blocks away from San Diego High School, the oldest historic school in San Diego downtown. And I had uh, about four kids in the youth group that would uh, let me come and visit them. And some wanted to acknowledge my presence on campus. Some were sort of shadow boxing with me, but I just started praying around the campus. I would say, God, may your kingdom come and your will be done uh, for this kid who's failing his classes, for 
this family that's not sure if they're going to make rent this month, uh, for this couple that I'm stepping over that's awkwardly uh, making out and being inappropriate, may they find true love that really satisfies them. <laughs> and I was praying all these prayers around the school, and then uh, God started just breaking my heart for the kids that aren't going to hear otherwise. 80 to 90 percent of kids in San Diego, and I would bet a lot of money in L.A. as well, aren't ever going to be exposed accidentally to the gospel. Uh, They're not going to come to us first. If Mm -hmm. we build it, the field of dreams mentality won't work. We've got to find a way to be like Jesus and go to them. That's what the incarnation and Christmas and all of Christianity started by God entering our uh, story and our situation and, and coming to us. So one day, Scott, I was in front of this uh, public school, and I was getting ready to pick up football players for a pregame meal. We did an optional banquet for the football team, and it was, it was voluntary, but everybody came, and I gave a Bible-based pep talk uh, and then went out on the field with them as a position coach, not just for football, but for life, on and off the field. And as I was sitting there in front of the school waiting for the bell to ring, I'm at an intersection, uh, and I remember it like it was yesterday. It was, it was quite a few years ago. Uh, but the bell rings, and the sea of multiracial faces comes flooding out of the school, every tongue and tribe and nation, and I'm sitting there just holding the steering wheel of my Nissan Xterra, watching all these faces walk by. And the first thought was just a moment of clarity for me. I I said, these kids won't accidentally stumble into the well-endowed Presbyterian Church Castle I work at down the street. We've got to find a way to go to them. And then the next thought was uh, not out loud, but it was as clear as the conversation we're having. I believe it was the still small voice of God. and, And God says, who will go for us? Who will reach these kids? Who can we send? And so I raised my hand in my heart that day and started to cry. I had to kind of clean myself up and wipe my tears. Nobody wants to get into a tinted vehicle with a crying guy uh, at the steering (laughs) wheel. So I just sort of say, all right, God, help me clean up and minister to these guys. So after the football game, after our pregame meal, I went home to my wife, 18 months into our marriage, Mm. mortgage, Southern California cost of living, and I had an MDiv at the time before I finished my doctorate, and Presbyterians do buildings and budgets really well. And I had a career job in youth ministry. It was a long-term deal with, with medical and retirement and, and so on and a livable salary. And 18 months into my marriage, like I said, I looked at my wife and I said, Honey, I've got a fantastic idea. I'm going to quit my job and go after the kids that not enough people are reaching. And without hesitating, she looks back at me and says, I think that sounds fantastic, sweetheart. And that's where UIC was born. We stepped out in faith and had one school partnered with one church, a faith club and a church. And then that grew to 25. That's grown to 100 now. Right before COVID shut everything down, we had 100 campuses and 3,500 kids a week where churches and schools are getting together. I'm now a local pastor in Southeast San Diego. That's where I'm talking to you from. And we have a relationship with several schools in our neighborhood, and we're inviting other churches to come and see and find out what's possible so that they can do it too if God leads them to. Yeah, you're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host, and my guest is Dr. Nate Landis. He's the CEO of Urban Youth Collaborative. And he, Nate, is talking to us about ministry in the public schools, which might seem like something that uh, can't be done, but actually it can be done quite well. Uh, Nate, 
So you're in school, the public schools, and you're having uh, evangelistic events because, uh, and, and maybe later we'll talk about how you know how that comes about. But I want to hear about yeah. stories. Like, what is what are some stories, or maybe give us a story of transformation of where maybe something amazing happened because of the ministry that the kids have started in these faith clubs? Yes. So the faith club at Morse High School right here in southeast San Diego has been really strong for many years. It grew from just a couple kids to over 50 students a week. And then we started a private small group and one-on-one discipleship uh, conversation and, and ministry component to what we were doing. And I say private just because it's kids sharing their personal lives together. And we had the, almost the whole football team go through it. They came to camp with us. At, we partnered with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and a lot of the kids got to go to camp. It's been at UCLA this last year. It was at Point Loma Nazarene University. And a couple of years ago, this student came back from camp, made a big commitment to Christ, came to all the discipleship lessons, And he was a standout running back and actually went on to UCLA, not as a camper, but as a student and played for the Bruins. And he was at a game against Mount McGill High School, and it was contentious. And there was a player on Mount McGill that was hurt, I think, emotionally and just started hurting other people, hurt people, hurt people. And this guy, after one of the plays, the whistle blows, the play's dead. He looks left, looks right and stomps on the femur of the guy that's on the ground and snaps it like a baseball bat. And so lots of pain. They they pull an ambulance up, and this kid uh, just for some reason wasn't ejected from the game. The the other guy he heard is in an ambulance going to the hospital, and he keeps playing. Uh, A couple plays later, he throws the guy to the ground with a face mask. A couple plays after that, an illegal horse collar. He should have been ejected three times but he wasn't. And so after, you can tell both sides are getting tense. The the crowd on the opposing side of the stadium is really getting antsy and angry. And you can just feel the tension on the field. You can cut it with a knife. Then this young man who was well-respected by his peers, who had been through our discipleship program, he could have said anything to, to his friends on the team and they would have followed him. He could have said, let's take a couple minutes off of all the discipleship teaching that Dr. Nate has been sharing with us, and let's roll on these guys because they tried to kill our boy, right? Mm -hmm. But instead, he takes them to the center of the field, and he has the maturity and the composure to uh, ask everyone, opponents and his team, to take a knee at the center of the field. It's student-led, so I could take a photo of this and put it on the cover of the L.A. Times, or the, the front page of the L.A. Times, or any other periodical. And it wouldn't go to the Supreme Court like that coach up in yeah. Washington recently. Yeah, it, it wouldn't have to even... It wouldn't go to any no court. question about it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so he led his his teammates and his opponents in a prayer for God's presence and power and peace to fall on the field, and the atmosphere instantly changed. You could just feel it. And that, for me, was a moment of, of courageous student leadership transforming a school because he put his faith into action in a difficult time when our flesh would have said, just roll on these guys. You're justified, beat them up. And instead he led people in peace and reconciliation. Here's the cool part, Scott. That's become a tradition for many, many years at Morse high school, no matter where they are on the field or on the road, 
they lead a post-game prayer every week. And then here's the fun part. Just this last year, that post-game prayer got up to Mira Mesa High School, which is in the middle of San Diego County. We have a chaplain program there, just like we do uh, in southeast San Diego. And a kid from a Muslim background watched that prayer and was inspired by the leadership of several generations of more students. And he converted to Christ from his Muslim background and wrestled with how to reveal that to his parents because he had a devout family and started inviting friends to the faith club we support and also Young Life, another sister ministry, and also was starting to bring his kids to church. So here I am talking to you in Southeast San Diego. This tradition of post-game prayer led by kids at public schools has now spread up to Mira Mesa High School. And uh, the story I've told you about Morse, I've told before, but now the new part is it's catching on and becoming contagious for other students all over the place. You know, these... these kinds of things are, I think, are stories we need to hear more of that, you know, there is so much darkness around the school system. And and I get that. And I encourage parents to be involved, go to your school boards, run for school board, you know, figure out who's running for school board, vote for the right people. There's a lot of darkness, but there is light there coming right from the students. That's right. That's right. They can't be stopped. And the only person that can mute a public school student when they want to talk about their faith is them. Yeah. And so I want to encourage kids to know that the, the law and the Lord are on their side. We want to provide a lot of support. We want them to know the power they really have and then to use it because there's a lot of misinformation out there that would lead people to believe the story I just told you wasn't possible. And I want more kids to hear about it so they also use that power that they have the, the Holy Spirit's inside them, and they also have First Amendment rights to respectfully and responsibly talk about what they believe. Yeah. You know, Nate, one of the other issues that is a huge issue, there's some of it in the news today, is the the issue of transgenderism, but not just the, you know, the gender dysphoria that has been a thing for a while, but now we're talking about large numbers of people who are believing that they are a different gender and even having medical procedures done upon themselves, uh, minors, um, and uh, to remove body parts or add them, um, to start to take puberty-blocking drugs or other drugs and hormones at a a kid's age. And it's, you know, the the study recently said it's as many as 20% of kids are in this category where they are questioning these things. You're in the public schools all the time. Why is this happening? What is going on with the kids from their level with this issue? I think adolescence as as a life stage is full of trying on identities. Hmm. They're trying to decide what they're going to be when they grow up as far as a career. They're trying to figure out what peer group they fit into, what extracurricular activities they'll do, what their hobbies are, and so on. And now we've added a new uh, false choice, which is to choose your gender. And I think what's happening is the power of suggestion has taken vulnerable kids who are already trying to figure life out, and they're now getting really plummeted with uh, the, the media and now curriculum and, and peer pressure and so on, where we really are uh, questioning foundational things that were unquestionable before. And uh, we really have to go back to 
<clears throat> the basics of a, a theological worldview that says, were we made by a creator or do we get to just invent this as we go along? And I think that's where the Christian conversation comes in and, and tells us that we do have a God who loves us and knows us and formed us in our mother's womb. And he, he endowed us with inalienable rights. And also he, he also assigned us a gender and we can, we can know that what God made is good and, and we don't have to have that sense of insecurity. So it's, it's preying on the insecurities of adolescents that are there already. And we used to have uh, social mores and norms where those things weren't even questioned. And now everything's just wide open. And, you know, my, my kids are in public schools and they're wanting to be faith, you know, faith ambassadors and salt and light. And uh, on the first day, for some of my kids, they were asking, so do you have any issues with gender identity or any kind of hmm. question about, you know, where you want to land with this? And so the power of suggestion is causing people to ask questions. One of the principles that I uh, have worked closely with over the years says when a district representative comes sometimes and shares, uh, afterwards, kids that have never held hands before, two boys, uh, start doing that just because they're trying it out. Yeah. I mean, adolescence is about trying on all these identities. And then the most dangerous part of all is they're giving kids, sometimes without parental permission, the opportunity not just to try on an idea, but to do a life-altering procedure. And and there's there's all, all the sort of anger management talks about you shouldn't make big decisions when you're when you're hungry, tired, or when you're stressed. And I would add, when you're 11. Right. You know, like, you shouldn't make those big decisions at that point in your life, because then when you're, when you're older, you might regret it. And so those, those things have to be, I think, uh, brought back to a place of kids finding their identity in Christ and trusting their maker. And there might be a very, very, very slim percentage of kids, like 0.001% that actually have attributes of, of multiple genders in them, but we're, we're now making an entire dialogue and an entire social policy uh, that really isn't true for 99.999% of kids. And yeah. that's where it gets weird. And, you know, one of our faculty advisors a couple of years ago said, I just had a district representative come in and ask that we teach without gender specific pronouns anymore. So instead of he and she and, and, and him and her, it was, citizen, it was uh, student, it was they and them, you know, plural or, you know, nonspecific. And I think that's discriminating against the vast majority of kids that do want to identify as male and female. And you were talking about this uh, earlier, Nate, where you you saw these kids coming out and you realized we really need to be there. And you, you went home and told the vision that God gave you to your wife who said, go for it, essentially, which is fantastic. Yep. And earlier in the last hour, we were talking about having big, hairy, audacious goals. Um, yep. Totally different subject. But that's what this is. This is something that God called you to do that not too many people are are, are doing. And I feel like people feel like they can't, that they don't have the opening, right. that they aren't allowed, or maybe that kids aren't allowed. Can you share with us, what are some of the biggest hurdles that people have before they realize that there is the possibility for doing ministry through faith clubs and other ways in public schools? Great question. 
I think we underestimate what God can do with ordinary people. Mm. I think we assume you've got to be a religious expert or you've got to be really, really hip and, and relevant with all of the latest music or trends or movies. And I've, I've stopped being cool years ago, uh, <laughs> but I've stayed relevant because my love for kids is irresistible. And, and I've known that it's not about me and what I'm going to attract kids to. It's going to be Jesus in me. Because when I, Scott, when I started out, I'm, I'm half deaf. My right ear is just for show. It doesn't do any work. It looks pretty good, but I I have trouble sometimes in conversations in large groups and was kind of insecure as a junior high kid. That might be why God has me going back to public schools and caring for kids that are trying to find their way. But in any case, uh, I was like, God, how could you use me when I have these hearing issues? And then I also work in a multicultural setting where often I'm the minority ethnically. And, and I was like, how's God going to use somebody like me to connect and what he showed me was that love is my collateral and authenticity allows me to go across lots of different platforms so i would say to anyone who is wondering if god can use them to just start to pray that's a dangerous first step because god often has us pray for kids and pray for the next generation and then he uses us to be one of the answers to some of those prayers and so we'll get we'll get sent to be able to respond to those situations that uh, God's putting on His heart. So one barrier I think is just underestimating ourselves. Mm. Another one is not knowing the law. And uh, when I say underestimating ourselves, I mean the, what God can do with ordinary people, His Spirit in us, uh, and not knowing the law. I mean the law and the water on our side, and we there's lots of ways to do it wrong and get kicked off campus and to create unnecessary offenses and that's why i wrote the book because i want people to know what their freedoms are as they support students and what the kids freedoms are so knowing the law versus not knowing the law that's another really big encouraging hurdle to get over and then third i would say uh, that there's a myth out there another hurdle is the myth that gen z isn't interested in spiritual things and they might be a little bit suspicious or very suspicious of organized religion and institutional religiosity. But when it comes to issues of faith and their curiosity about spiritual matters and whether there's uh, something going on beyond our five senses and whether there's a bigger purpose to our lives than just trying to survive every day, those are the conversations they like to have. And so I think we've sort of written off public schools, and, and there's a lot of weird stuff going in public schools, like we were talking about. It's, it's not... Uh, it's not unreasonable to think it's a lost cause if you haven't had somebody walk you through how to overcome these hurdles. But what God's doing in public schools and the hunger of this next generation for spiritual things and the possibilities of ministry really do, uh, I think, give us the perfect opportunity. Now that we're coming out of COVID, this is our first fall in three years of having more normal ministry activities. We've had social distancing, mm -hmm. masks, meeting outside. Sometimes food wasn't allowed. Now we're back, and we've all had a taste of hell, Scott. Yeah. What I mean by that is not when the, the sample card at Costco was removed for 18 months, but the sample of hell was being alone, being told you can't connect with others, and not knowing when it's going to end, and being in a situation we weren't created for. Yeah. And that's 
I think, a great definition of hell, and we've all sampled that, and we want something else. So we're ready to find out about what Jesus can offer when he says he's come to bring life to the fullest. And that's the message we want to take to public schools, because there are over 50 million kids in public schools. Like you were saying, that's not going to go away. We've had a, a drift of kids to pub, from public to private, from public to homeschool, et cetera. And I fully understand that. Now that I'm a father of three, also a foster dad, I've raised seven other kids. And I totally get the desire to protect our students. But then we also have to be salt and light and find some kind of plan for the vast majority of students that won't be able to go to homeschool or to private school. Mm -hmm. And that's what Urban Youth Collaborative is about, is getting a bridge built between congregations and faith clubs so that we can have traffic going both ways for those that are interested in learning more. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. Your My guest is Dr. Nate Landis from Urban Youth Collaborative. You can join our conversation by calling 888-528-2557. How old are your kids? Uh, remind me how old your kids are, Nate. I've got a brand new uh, freshman in high school. I've got a seventh grader, and I've got a fourth grader. So when, it's it's a fun age. We're right in the mix with everything we're talking about today. When you before the break, you we're talking about identity and the transgender issue, and the you said that your kids when they went to school they were asked you know to think about what their gender is. How, which kids were were asked that the high schooler alone, or was your Seven-year-old also asked that. It was it was my seventh grader, yeah, middle seventh school, grader. high school. They both. It was kind of at check-in time, and it wasn't it wasn't a like really aggressive conversation, but it was a hint. It was, hey, are you having any questions about this? Do you want to explore it more? Do you need to talk to someone? Mm. And and it felt it felt sort of like they were kind of baiting or suggesting that that might be the case when the kid may not be needing that at all. And I, I want kids to get support and the, the therapy and so on that they need to make it through life without being bullied. But I think we're really just exaggerating things to the point that we're now suggesting it. And almost because it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where we're speaking it into existence. And then a kid goes, maybe I am curious. Yeah. I should ask more questions. The studies are maybe saying I it's contagion. Overanalyze. You know, yeah. uh, in yeah, so many ways. So an important part of it. yeah, an important part of your ministry, and people listening might be saying, "Well, how do we do this in our public school?" And in your organization, Urban Youth Collaborative, you're focusing more on San Diego right now, uh, and many of our listeners are in L.A., Orange County, Riverside, San Bernardino, Ventura County. Uh, but this can be done at any public school. You just have to follow the rules. What is this step? So a, a church leader who might be listening, or just somebody who is. Uh, saying, gosh, you know what, I want to be involved with this at my local school. What's their first step? First step would be to go to uyc.org. That's short for Urban Youth Collaborative, uyc.org. And what you would do there is you can actually sign up for some brand new online video courses that we've just unveiled. That's so this can spread to other cities and states because these laws are federal, and I've always said, Scott, if it can work in Southern California with some of the political challenges we face here with this culture, it can work anywhere. Yes. And so the reason we wanted to get this out is to share some inspiring stories, but also practical step-by-step instructions on how to do it. There's a video course version, and there's also a written version if you prefer just reading it in book format. So UIC.org, there's a course for church leaders 
to be able to do everything UIC does in public schools. There's a course for student leaders. If you want to start a faith club that's unstoppable at your school anywhere in the country, you can take that. And if you follow the steps, it's going to be impossible for you to be stopped. And then third, there's a track for adults who care. That's for volunteers, parents, grandparents, anyone that wants to come alongside a kid and pass on life skills and faith in Christ to the next generation. They can do all of that at UIC.org. And if you've been listening to uh, Dr. Nate Landis today, a way, a way you can connect with him is at that website, uyc.org. You can also uh, go to his Instagram, which is Dr. Nate Landis, which is D-R period Nate, N-A-T-E-L-A-N-D-I-S. And uh, follow him on Instagram. He does some great videos on there, some great encouragement. And I want all of our listeners to be encouraged that you know, the situation in the public schools, the situation in our country, it's not hopeless at all. We're called as people to be salt and light, as Christians to be salt and light into the world. That means we need to get up and go. And these kids are probably not just going to show up at church one day into our buildings. But Jesus never called us to invite people to our buildings alone. He called us to go out and make disciples of all nations And very often, especially here in Southern California, all nations are right down the street. Uh, Nate, I know that you got to go and we got to take a break. Thank you for being on our program. And um, we'll look forward to having you on again. Once again, the website is UYC.org, Urban Youth Collaborative. Uh, There's a couple of different uh, outfits out there called Urban Youth Collaborative. The one you're looking for is UYC.org. That's the website. Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.